Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and no one would let us do a show on TV for your eyeballs, so with my co-host, we do this show for your earballs. Ladies and gents, the captain. Well, if it's going to be that kind of party, I'm going to stick my dick in the mashed potatoes. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today we got glasses full of tropical hazy by the good folks over at Zaftig. This is a New England IPA complete with glorious passion fruit, orange, and guava. Garage grade four and three quarter bottle caps out of five. And we've got to give some credit where credit is due. So thanks and praise to Elizabeth in Worcester, Ohio. And a big shout out to Katie L. in Lakewood, Ohio. Next up we have sisters Catherine and Jacqueline in austin texas that's funny a lot of people think we're sisters a big shout out to sarah h in new york we are sorority sisters and here's a cheers to jennifer in seymour connecticut and last but certainly not least we have a big shout out and long distance cheers to alice in kigali rwanda so nice of her to contribute to this week's beer fund for more fun and to stay in touch follow the show on twitter and instagram and follow me on Untapped, just search for True Crime Garage. All right, B-W-E-R-U-N, Beer Run, and that is enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. All right, Captain, what we have here, and I'm going to throw in a little criticism before we get going too far along, because what has been the biggest part of this case that has been criticized is that the Somerville Police Department, that they locked on to Eddie O'Brien 
too early in their investigation as their number one suspect. And not only did they, not only did he become a suspect too quickly for some people's liking, but they locked in on him and failed to look elsewhere. I'm going to give my own criticism. I agree with the, the part of locking on to Edward O'Brien. Mm-hmm. What I don't agree with is the criticism that they, that he became a suspect too quickly. Th- they had evidence that suggests he should be a suspect yeah, in he, this case. He had stab wounds or, or defensive wounds or however you want to look at those cuts by a knife. We have a woman murdered by a knife. We have an individual that has cuts by a knife that they call 911 and he is, I think you said half a mile away from the scene of the crime. Yeah. You have a, you have his fingerprint, a bloody in blood in wet blood at the crime scene. Mm-hmm. You have what cannot be ruled out as the victim's blood on his shin. So there is evidence linking him to the crime scene. Then we have the issue of two weeks after his arrest. He says, Yes, I was at the crime scene. Right. And here's what really happened. But before we get too far along, Captain, what I want to mention is is the fact that they locked in on him and then they failed to recognize the possibility of, well, do we have anybody else that could have done this? I think they were overtaken and blinded by what little evidence they had at the time. Where I want to go with this is there's two other people that could be considered a suspect. And I say two other people because really we know, and I think you will agree with me that regardless of this timestamp where some sources say she was killed between 8 PM and 10 PM, right? That cannot be, it it just cannot be. Okay. Maybe she was killed between eight and nine 15, but that's as long as you can take this timeline out. Why? Because either one of two stories is correct. Either Eddie O'Brien killed her and then fled the scene. Remember, he's he's said to have been seen by eyewitnesses leaving the area at 920 p.m. Or he didn't kill her. And his story is correct that he showed up, went into the house, and she was already dead when he got there around 915. So whatever happened to Janet Downing, whoever murdered her, murdered her either Eddie did it when he got to the house or she was already dead when he got there. That leaves us with two other potential suspects in my mind. Yes, there could have been a whole heck of a lot of people that could have done this, but I say two for this reason. One, we have Paul Downing, who by his own admission was in the home from approximately 8.15 to 8.30-ish. We know Janet Downing was alive at 8 o'clock when the group of boys left her house. But even with all of this evidence against Eddie, is it possible that we have a different suspect, maybe even a better suspect? Right. I'm going to bring up a guy named Artie Ortiz. Artie Ortiz is Janet Downing's brother-in-law. He is married to her sister. He was kicked out of the house. He and his wife lived with the Downings for over a year. They were kicked out of the home in March of 1995. Janet Downing would tell friends that she kicked them out of her home because she believed that Artie Ortiz was dealing, selling drugs out of her house. Right. Okay. We need to talk about a woman 
named Gina Mahoney. Gina Mahoney is arguably one of Janet Downing's best friends leading up to her murder. Janet Downing and Gina Mahoney spoke several times at length the day of her murder. Gina Mahoney says that on several occasions, she saw Artie Ortiz's cab. He was a cab driver. She saw his cab parked outside of the house, the Downing house, after he was kicked out of the home, when nobody was home, when the kids weren't home, when Janet was home. Well, and didn't also neighbors say that they saw his vehicle there from time to time after the time period of him being kicked out? Yes. The other thing that's interesting is the the reason why this is very important to Gina Mahoney is because she's had conversations with Janet Downing where Janet has told her, Artie Ortiz still has keys to my home. And refuses to give them back. And refuses to give them back. And that's where Gina Mahoney's saying, well, not only does he have those keys, I've seen his vehicle parked near your home when I know nobody is home. Now, she's not saying, I know he was going in your house or I know he was doing anything weird. She's just saying, when you were not home and when the kids were not home, I've seen on several occasions his cab parked by your house. That same day, Janet Downing tells Gina Mahoney that she is afraid of Artie Ortiz and that she that he has been harassing her since he she kicked him out of the house. Mm-hmm. All right, now, that's suspicious. That's hearsay, whatever. Yeah, but we also don't have anybody in her life saying that she was fearful of this gentle giant that lived across the street. Yeah, a little more background on that, on Eddie O'Brien. His parents lived on Boston Street his entire life. Janet Downing knew Eddie O'Brien his entire life. Mm -hmm. She had lived there since the, the late 70s. And you're right, nobody ever said that Janet Downing told them that she was afraid of this 15-year-old boy. He, he was over at the house all the time. It was his best friend's house. So more importantly than this hearsay bit is this story. Gina Mahoney says that on the night of Janet Downing's murder, she was out on her front porch. She's watching what is going on over at her friend's house, Janet Downing's. This is the the, the police lights, the ambulance sirens. This is all a big commotion. She's out on her front porch now wondering what happened at her friend's house, wondering if her friend is okay, and she's watching it from her front porch. She says that at 10 p.m., she sees Artie Ortiz walking. His hair is wet and freshly combed. Artie then engages in conversation with Gina. He says that he is there because his dispatcher told him that his sister-in-law, Janet Downing, has been murdered. Gina finds this immediately very off-putting, finds it to be very strange, considering that the EMTs and the police are still at the Downing house. Janet's still in the house. Right. Nobody really knows what's going on at this point, but he's saying that his dispatcher knows what's going on and told him that Janet Downing had been murdered. A little fishy, right? It's a little fishy. I I don't know. A little fishy. You know, I don't know if, if the dispatcher would be, you know, listening to police scanner or if, or if that could explain it, but it gets a little more interesting than that. 
because at this same time that she's talking with Artie Ortiz, she says that she spots his green taxi cab. His cab is parked on Hamlet Street. This is this is the street that runs up the side of the along the side of the Downing House. Mm-hmm. She says that his cab is parked on Hamlet Street and it's facing the wrong way. His vehicle, according to Gina, is parked on the same side of Hamlet Street as the Downing Home, but his cab is facing Highland Avenue. It should be facing the other direction, which is Boston Street. Gina says that Ortiz's cab is blocked in. This is 10 o'clock. They're having their conversation. She sees his cab. It's blocked in by a fire truck, a police vehicle, and an ambulance. Well, what would that tell us? That Either Ortiz's vehicle first. dropped out of the sky and fell to that spot, mm-hmm. or he was parked there before emergency personnel arrived responding to the scene. Mm-hmm. Then here is something very bizarre. Artie Ortiz, during his conversation with Gina, he discovers he can't find his keys in any of his pockets. He tells Gina he can't find his keys. He leaves Gina's front yard and runs over to his cab where she says she can see him crawling around inside the vehicle and very obviously looking for his keys. Mm -hmm. After several minutes, he gets out of the cab and steps foot onto the downing property, which of course is a crime scene by now. So of course he is stopped by an officer. He asked the officer if he could be allowed to go into the backyard and search for his keys. Why would his keys be there? Oh, well, oh, how how astute of you to Wait, contemplate on. that. Good job, Fishy. Caddy. Fishy. <laughs> the officer told Ortiz that this would not be possible. This is a crime scene. So then Ortiz goes back to Gina's front yard. And again, he's talking with her. Then he asked her if she thought that the cops would be there much longer. <laughs> Do you think these cops are going to be here much longer? Hey, you think they're going to you, you think they're going to like take her dead body and move it real quick cuz I need to find my keys. She tells him, "Yes, I do think that they will be here for a while." And then he goes on again and says that he needed to get into the backyard so he could find his keys because he needed to return the cab back to his work. Eventually, I don't know if he grew tired or what, but that same night he had the cab towed. He never found the, he didn't get the keys that night. He had the cab towed back to his work. Very interesting story. Well, and look, if somebody would have told the police this, this is some evidence they could have looked for inside the house, which obviously they didn't look for. And then we have Eddie O'Brien's story that he was, he says he was too afraid to tell anybody because he was threatened by a man with dark hair. Artie Ortiz has dark hair. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's go to the trial, Captain. So leading up to this trial, what we have basically is for two years, they fight over the idea of should this boy who was 15 at the time of the murder, he's 15 and five months old at the time of the murder, should he be tried as a juvenile or as an adult? And the whole purpose in reading that summary in our trailer of DeLulio's article in what he called the coming of the juvenile super predator 
was because at the time in our country, several states were battling with the idea because there was a rise in violent crime and murders committed by juveniles. The idea at the time was, do we try these juveniles ages 14 to 17 Mm -hmm. as adults? Not only do we try them as adults, but can we sentence them to life in prison without the possibility of parole? Because you have his article that points out that, hey, a big batch of these dudes are just evil. You cannot uh, rehabilitate them, and they are super predators. They are monsters. I don't want to fully condemn his article because what we have John DeLulio saying in that article that I left out of the trailer, he was saying that our parents and our communities need to be raising these children and raising these boys better so that they grow up and they have feelings and empathy and they care about each other and they care about others and they care about their neighborhoods and their communities. Or they understand consequences. Right. He was proposing to build more churches, not prisons. That sounds great to me. Hell, build more McDonald's and Burger Kings, too. He is just saying... Mm. That that punishment isn't the key. Raising these kids properly to be good citizens and good adults will help mold them into not being killers and not being criminals. Mm -hmm. What some states decided the solution was, try them as adults, lock them up with a life sentence without the possibility of parole, basically lock them up and throw away the key. And then let everybody know this is what happens to you if you commit murder. Right. So for two years, they fought over the idea, should Eddie O'Brien be tried as a juvenile or as an adult? And he was arrested, as we said, in late July of 1995. He was indicted on August 2nd of that same year. What we have in 1996, we have Judge Paul Heffernan orders O'Brien, who's now 16, to be tried as a juvenile. If convicted, he would face a maximum of a 20-year sentence. Mm -hmm. In July of that same year, the governor of Massachusetts signs into law a bill that would require juveniles over age of 14 accused of first or second degree murder to be tried as adults. So then the Supreme Judicial Court decides that the judge that said O'Brien should be charged as a juvenile, well, we're going to toss that out. Right. We're going to toss that out. And on May 9th of 1997, so we're now at over a year and a half after this kid was first locked up, it was decided that O'Brien, who is 17 at this time, would be ordered to face murder charges in the adult court system. Whatever happened to the right right to a speedy trial? (laughs) What did we say in that one show? You have the right to a speedy trial. You just may not get one. Right. And because they're fighting over laws. It seems like a lot of our laws lately or a lot of these cases where you go, we know that the person has the right to. They just never they never gave him the opportunity to. Well, and Eddie O'Brien, whether he killed Janet Downing or not, fell into a very bad. He had very bad luck on on many levels, but on this level where. At the time where some of these states were considering combating juvenile violence and murders committed by juveniles by locking them up and throwing away the key, as we just said, 
the the people that were opposed to that were pointing out that hey that kind of setup is aimed at locking up african american black youth children and throwing away the key and so some people were pointing out that they thought it was you know it was racially biased mm-hmm. to do this and it does make sense because at the time there it was everybody that wanted to attack the rise in gang juvenile gang violence in the country in the inner cities right and so eddie o'brien then became well we got this white kid who lives near boston and he stabbed this woman across the street 98 times so what better way to go no we, we this is not racially biased this is against the board across the board which it was but now you can point to this exact incident this exact situation and go this is what we're going after mm-hmm. this sexual sadist who grew up across the street from these nice people so what we have here captain is once we are at trial you have the prosecution who's going to have to present the theory to the jury and walk the jury hand in hand along the way down the path and point to evidence that convinces them of their theory that says, you know what? We believe this happened because we have this piece of evidence to support that portion of our theory. And we're going to walk you all the way from step a all the way to step Z. And then you're going to give us a guilty conviction afterwards. Mm -hmm. They say that Eddie O'Brien was obsessed with Janet downing that he became obsessed with her that he was watching her and he was asking unusual questions about janet downing and that was proof that he was sexually obsessed with this woman one of the questions that he asked was he asked janet's son his best friend ryan why does your mother sit in the driveway she would pull up and sit in her car for a very long time often after arriving home. Mm -hmm. I believe she was a smoker. I've seen some people say that she was a smoker, so that would make some sense. What the prosecution did to support this, he's obsessed with her, is they had four different people testify that Eddie O'Brien asked, why does she sit in the driveway for a long period of time in her car? The problem with that is it paints a picture that he was asking multiple people this question. The truth of it is he asked this question to Ryan in front of a group of people. Right. So you have this, you have multiple people testifying over and over again to the same thing, but really it's only from one incident. He didn't ask multiple people multiple times. It happened once. And further, it's the, not that weird of a question. Well, you, there were other people that testified that they had they had the, dis, had the same discussion with other people. Other neighbors wondered why she sat in the driveway yeah. for a long period of time. Sometimes back in the day, I'd be listening to NPR, and I'd get home, and NPR would have another 10, 15 minutes left. And it's like, well, I'll just sit here, finish, finish the show. Howard Stern has made me a victim of sitting in a parking spot or in my driveway for years now. I got I got to stay on until the commercial break. Yeah. So, hold up a sign that says no flicky flicky and you'll be fine. What what they think is going on? Th- this is this is interesting too. Is did he ask any other questions? There yes, he did ask if Ryan, he asked Ryan if 
Janet was a lesbian? And that seems like a very bizarre question to ask. I think it sounds like an immature question. He's 15. Yeah. And we did have a person who testified that said she had a discussion with Big Ed, with Eddie's father. Mm -hmm. And they were talking about Janet Downing. Mind you, these people, they practically live on their front porches in the summertime. They're all friends. They all know each other. Mm-hmm. They can all see each other's business. And these two people were saying, you know, Big Ed in this business. this woman were, were commenting on how Janet had not had a male companion since the divorce between her and her husband. Yeah. Some, but One of the adults posed the question to the other, maybe she's a lesbian. Yeah, or maybe the, it but, just takes her some time. Maybe she's raising these four kids by herself and she just doesn't have the time. To go try to find some, right, but some where douchebag. where this plays into look, the the prosecution is going to point out that this is a big deal that Eddie O'Brien asked this question. It's not. It's not a big. It's not a big deal because of the testimony of this woman who says Eddie O'Brien was in the room and overheard this conversation between two adults. So him being a kid, a child, probably thought. Well, maybe there's some merit to it. And he asked his friend, who happens to be the son of this woman, is your mother a lesbian? It's one of those things that on the surface, it seems bizarre. When you read it that in the paper, it seems bizarre that Eddie O'Brien would ask this. But then when you get the full story. His dad and other people saying some stuff and maybe some rumors around town. And he said, I'm, I'm going to ask my friend to ask my friend. So that day, the day that Janet Downing was murdered. The prosecution points out one thing, that Eddie is at the home and he learns that the the kitchen door to the home is broken. The way that this works is that if you were to turn the doorknob on either side, either on the outside or the inside, it does not operate the door. His friend explains to Eddie that because of, you know, the purpose of security, we added a deadbolt to this door. That same day, Eddie, remember he goes into the den and sees Janet Downing sleeping on the couch. We then have the boys agree that they're going to go swimming, and the prosecution would point out that Eddie didn't want to go swimming because once he learned of the broken door to the house and saw Janet Downing sleeping on the couch, that his obsession kicked in. Oh, yeah. And that he figured out, you know what? I'm not going to go swimming with these guys. I'm going to come back in here, access the house through the broken door, and I can get to her while she's sleeping on the couch. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer 
or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. 
Some days I need a pack of lunch and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right. Cheers, crispy cabin. Yeah. All right. So let's get into some of the facts or some of what the prosecution says is evidence against Eddie O'Brien in this case. Remember, the newspaper said that they have three separate eyewitnesses who saw Eddie O'Brien fleeing from the Downey house, fleeing the scene. And technically... That's not the case. Nobody saw him running from the house. What they see is two of the witnesses anyway, see him running from the backyard area or the bushes that are near the downing home Mm -hmm. where the problem comes in for the prosecution at trial is that one of the persons that says that they saw Eddie O'Brien says under oath, I don't know for certain that it was Eddie O'Brien that it was a tall person that was about the same size as Eddie, but I'm not 100% convinced that it was Eddie because when I saw this person, I said, I called out to him by name to which he didn't turn around and he didn't respond. Right. The other witness, their story changed three times before it was Eddie O'Brien that they saw running from that area. Well, that's a strong witness. Yeah. It, it was, I don't know who it was. I couldn't see who it was. And then the final story was he turned and looked at me and kind of smiled. And it was Eddie O'Brien. You pointed out something interesting earlier about Eddie's clothes and they're remarkably clean for having just stabbed someone 98 times. Mm -hmm. The third witness offers up a little bit of reasoning as to why. Eddie O'Brien might have appeared to be clean, or at least his clothes appeared to be clean after having attacked this woman. Mm -hmm. This witness says that in their yard, something startled them. So they looked out the window and they saw Eddie O'Brien jump a fence in their yard, fleeing from the area. Eddie O'Brien at this time, according to this witness was wearing a black shirt. And when he went up and over the fence, he could see a white shirt underneath the black shirt. Okay, well, there's your solution. Eddie O'Brien was wearing a black shirt. He murdered this woman, fled the area, took off the black shirt, had the white shirt underneath, dumped the black shirt somewhere. Right, and none of the blood soaked through. None of it soaked through, but here's some problems with this eyewitness's testimony. First of all, they don't outwardly say 100% it was Eddie O'Brien. It was saying somebody that said, Eddie lived in my neighborhood his whole life, I know who Eddie is. The person I saw was about the same height and had the same body type as Eddie O'Brien. What I'm pointing out here is there's a chance that this eyewitness saw somebody jump their fence. Right. It just might not have been Eddie O'Brien. Now, you've seen the size and the stature of this boy. It would be difficult to 
confuse him with somebody else, right? Can we agree on that? Yeah, but the other problem is I think he stated that Eddie was 250 pounds. There's no way by looking at Eddie being 6'4", was he 250 pounds? He was probably closer to 300 pounds. That's a lot of man meat to try to get over a fence, depending on how big the fence is. Well, this looks good for the prosecution because it explains away the lack of blood on Eddie's shirt. Mm. What looks really bad for the prosecution is the eyewitness's testimony that says he saw this person who he believes to be Eddie O'Brien jumping the fence. This was at 10.15 p.m. We know that is impossible as Eddie O'Brien was at the midnight convenience store being interviewed by police and examined by EMT workers at that time. So this eyewitness testimony, you just have to toss it completely out. Yeah. If you saw somebody, man, it was not Eddie O'Brien because I have police and EMTs that will say he was down at Union Square in this convenience store. Yeah, but all these changing stories of the eyewitnesses, it would have to make a a jury or a judge start thinking that the, the prosecution is finding people that are just willing to say anything. Yeah, but what I like about this testimony by two of the eyewitnesses, the ones that it could be possibly Eddie, Eddie O'Brien that they saw, is this actually, in my mind, works out in Eddie's favor. It doesn't work out in the prosecution's favor. Because Eddie O'Brien has already said, yes, I was at the scene that night. Right. I went into the home and then I fled out the back door at the cellar door. I crashed into the bushes and then I ran down Hamlet Street. Where it looks good for Eddie O'Brien is these witnesses say that it was at 9.20 p.m. Eddie O'Brien and three witnesses say that he was at his home at 9.15 and went across the street immediately to the Downing home and then saw what was going on. His life was threatened, and then he left the area. Why that looks good for him? You mean to tell me that in the course of simply five minutes, just five minutes, Eddie O'Brien managed to somehow get into the home, leave no sign of a forced entry, brutally attack Janet Downing, drag her from the den where she's sleeping, or believed to have been sleeping, into the living room, and during all of this stabbing her 98 times? Yeah, it seems a little difficult for that to be done. And then on top of that, if he's not covered in blood, did he did he wash up before leaving the Downing house? Again, we're adding time to this. It's just getting more improbable by, you know, by the testimony. Was she was she able to defend herself at all? Like being able to scratch up this individual or. Well, that's where we get into some of the blood evidence. There is certainly blood evidence that points to Eddie O'Brien having been at the scene, which makes him look very guilty. We got the we got the fingerprint in in the wet blood on the uh, beam going down the stairs to the cellar right. that matches his fingerprints. We have a drop of blood that is later found on his shin that is type AB, and a very small percentage of people have type AB blood. So it's not 100% that it's Janet Downing's, but it looks very likely that it is. Right. If that's her blood and he's also stayed in, hey, I was there at the scene. He says he touched her. He rolled her over. It's possible he got some of her blood on him and he didn't kill her, if we right. believe his story. And some of the blood he would have got off when he went to the store and cleaned himself off. Th- there's the problem, though, Captain. They found other blood evidence at the scene 
it's labeled as identifiable, meaning that the sample's good enough to find a match to it. Mm-hmm. It's identifiable, but it has not been matched to anybody. It's not been tested against anybody other than Eddie O'Brien. Right. It's not like they rounded up 10, 12, 15 suspects and tested all their blood and said, oh, we've cleared you. Well, that goes back to people's complaints about this case of law enforcement locking into him too early or too quickly. I think I think the issue is not so much too early. It's the, it, it, it's well, it's it's the wording that I struggle with because right. you're absolutely right. It's it is locking in on him. Not only is he our number one suspect, but nobody else could have possibly have done this. We're only going to look for evidence to build our case against Eddie O'Brien. And I'll tell you what, man, I don't really fault the police. I don't fault the Somerville police for that. I fault the prosecution because the police, their job is to collect evidence, to collect facts, make an arrest, hand it off to the prosecutor. And then the prosecutor decides, do we take this to court? Do we convict this man? And then the prosecutor didn't at no point look back and say, well, wait a second. We have, we have a, a third type of blood found at the scene that has, we've been told it's not Eddie O'Brien's. Right. Can we're we not test go- this against any other suspects? Right. We're not going to round up any other people in this, this whole big mess and, and test it against their blood. So that, that's where it gets to be, to be very difficult. And then what gets to be extremely difficult for Eddie for today because what we have here captain is he will be found guilty of murdering Janet Downing the the trial lasted roughly about 2 weeks it started on September 17th and on September 30th the defense rest now the defense only presented for 2 days during this trial and after nine hours of deliberation, Eddie O'Brien was found guilty on first-degree murder. So he's sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. This is the mandatory uh, sentence under state law after that was signed signed into effect in uh, 19, what did we say, 1996? Mm-hmm. One of the big problems for Eddie O'Brien is this story about Artie Ortiz and being parked near the home on the night in question, it never comes up during trial. His defense attorney didn't bring it up. That's whiffing it. His, his, because his defense attorney didn't want to, the, the problem with presenting Eddie's side of the story is it places him at the crime scene. That's what his, his defense attorney thought. Right. Where I say, I say the opposite. It, you need to explain why some physical evidence puts him at the crime scene. Right. There's only reasonable doubt if we hear that side of the story. There's only reasonable doubt if Eddie does place himself at the crime scene. And then we have alternative suspects. Because what the jury gets told, the story they get told, is we have proof that he was there. And it, it, when he was first asked if he was there, he said no. Well, that makes him look awfully guilty. Yeah, or it makes him look like an immature, scared 15-year-old. Well, and that's why I went through that whole bit of the the life sentence without the possibility of parole. The kid was 15 years and five months old. Now, yes, this is a, 
a horrific crime. If you're ever going to get life without the possibility of parole, to me, it's justified in a case like this. The problem is if you're going to take a 15 year old and lock them up and throw away the key, you better be damn sure you got the right 15 year old. You better be sure you got the right guy. And I think there's questions about if he even did this. I, I, I don't think his size helps. Well, here's the, here's the other thing, too. I think asking a group of people, asking a room of people to believe that we have this physical evidence, we have this kid who later says, yeah, I was there, but this is what happened. Oh, and by the way, not only did I find a victim who was just murdered, fled her home, and then within minutes I was attacked and stabbed myself. Asking a room of people to believe that, what are the chances? Right. You, no one's going to believe that. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure that I believe it. I'm not saying that this is a wrongful conviction because I believe Eddie O'Brien. I'm saying that I question the conviction beyond a reasonable doubt because I don't think that any alternative was explored. No alternative was even presented at the trial. And also, frankly, I believe the story against Artie Ortiz. Why was his cab parked there? Right. Why didn't he have his keys? Right. Why did he need to go into the backyard to look for him? Exactly. You know, why wouldn't he give the keys over in the first place? Why was he visiting her house without her knowledge or her not being there? So what do you think, Captain? Do you think Eddie did it or? Well, and Eddie has also, um, not Eddie, but. Artie. Artie has a possible more, more likely of a motive. You'd be mad because she kicked you out. There's. And that she also was. They have bad blood between them. Right. And she's telling people that she's afraid of him. Eddie, I just don't understand the motive. If it's sexual in nature, why wasn't there any sexual assault? Not saying that every murder that is sexual in nature has any type of assault. But I also don't see a history of this gentle giant, which everybody called a gentle giant. They didn't call him the monster the monster 15-year-old. Right. They called him a gentle giant. So the motive doesn't make a lot of sense to me as far as Eddie's concerned. They also make it seem like, oh, now he is here was his big opportunity. Well, I don't see that as being such. I don't know. And there's just no history. He has no history. Well, and that's why they need for the general public, us to believe, you know, the Commonwealth's argument inside of the story is that this was a monster in the making. He's a sadistic killer. And this is the first. There's no proof of that. This is the first that we're seeing of it because he was so young. Stabbing somebody 98 times. That's that's the first of it. There's normally some kind of progression. We see this time and time again. Um, violence towards animals. No, I agree, but but violence towards family it members, in, teachers. It, it would not be impossible for this to be bubbling up under the surface without anybody knowing. Mm. That that's what I have a problem with. Right, right. I think if he was obsessed with her on some level, maybe making some in, inappropriate sexual advancement to her or something like that would make 
a lot more sense. But this idea that, oh, he was so obsessed with her with, with no evidence of that. Zero evidence of that. That he was somehow obsessed with her and that caused him to stab her 98 times. It's just... And that's what I mean. We're making that, big leaps here. That's and that's what I'm I'm getting at. That that it's these are these are leaps that are being made to put someone behind bars for the rest of their. It's not. There's no question about it. It's the rest of his life. It's life mm-hmm. without the possibility of parole. And then I could see somebody's argument going. Well, look, he lied. Okay, but we don't have to make this giant leap of why. Why would a 15 year old lie? Because they were scared, because they're immature, because they don't know how to handle these things. That's not that big of a leap to, to, or that big of a excuse of why he lied. But like these other things, like, like we talked about before the taxi cab, why was it parked there? Where were your keys to explain those things away? You have to make bigger leaps. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, and I I also don't think he passes the eye test for me. I don't think Eddie passes the eye test. I don't see this uh, cold-blooded killer. I see a kid that um, seems very meek. Was the word I'd use? I mean, he really looks like a big version of Ralphie from the Christmas Story. Well, what we do end up with, Captain, is I believe it was in 2014 that the state of Massachusetts, they overturned that what might be a flawed idea, and I think that it is, of of trying 14-year-olds and 15-year-olds and then sentencing them to life without the possibility of parole. They overturned that. They will not be convicting juveniles of life without the possibility of parole. Now, for Eddie to apply for parole, he has to be willing to show remorse and fess up to what he has been convicted of. This is the the kind of stuff that drives me insane. It drives me absolutely insane because that's the, we're supposed to be adults here. But that's the circle. That's the vicious circle of it is that you for for one to be rehabilitated for a horrible act and a horrible time in their life to be rehabilitated from that. And from that person, you then must be willing to accept what you did and show that you want forgiveness and that you are remorseful for what you did and that you are a different person now than when you were placed into the system back then. The problem with that is it only works out. You only need to be rehabilitated if you were, in fact, a bad guy back then, if you were wrongfully convicted, then you weren't a bad guy back then. Right. But that's why this nation and this world feels like it's on fire lately, because people just can't be adults about things. OK, so we have a system that is created by man. We know that there's some flaws to the system, right? We also know that there's innocent people that are convicted of crimes, So if we know all that, there are going to be times where somebody can get paroled. We should allow the parole hearing to happen. Even if the guy went on trial, claimed he was innocent, was convicted, claims he's innocent. 
when when the parole comes up, still claims that he's innocent, let him go in front of the, the parole board and let the parole board decide. Because to me, if I'm going, has the guy ever admitted that he did it? No, he's always claimed that he's innocent. Again, like you were saying, how do you have to be rehabilitated I, I, if you to never be clear, admit that you did the crime? To be clear, the parole board is the one that does decide that. Um, but again, it's it, it's it's the way that it's that. But it's he doesn't even. But he doesn't even get to go in front of the parole board until he admits that he did this. Mm. That doesn't make any sense to me. Like that shouldn't make much sense to any adult. What we do have, though, too, is we do have the Innocence Project has taken at least a review of Eddie's case, which I don't know if through the appeals process or what will happen here. Again, I'm not saying with 100% certainty that this kid didn't do it. I'm just saying it looks to me. I think it's a very confusing case, and I think there's just missteps, and there's I really don't think there's enough evidence. Um, and again, it goes back to, did they lock on to him too long? I, 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 whatever, we're going to figure out the terminology. I think they, they latched on him very quickly, like they should have, mm-hmm. because he's half a mile away from the crime scene. And there's physical knife, evidence, evidence putting him there. Knife wounds. And all of, by the way, you got some blood on your shin. Didn't clean that up. So there's some reason to be looking towards him. But you always have to then, you know, go back to the drawing board. Try to prove yourself wrong. You know, if you think he's 100% guilty, then try to prove that he's innocent. And then look look at, you know, don't let any rock go unturned. Because this, this is a 15-year-old boy's life at stake. Which, you know, I think we could do better. A little recommended listening for you if you need to get caught up on our old episodes. Download the Stitcher app. It's free. And if you want to check out our other show called Off the Record, we do a lot of case updates. And you can find that on Stitcher Premium. Do we have any recommended reading this week? This week we are recommending The Politics of Murder, The Power and Ambition Behind the Alter Boy Murder Case by Margot Nash. This is a fantastic read, and it really details the trial and court proceedings in the Eddie O'Brien and Janet Downing case. That's The Politics of Murder by Margot Nash. You can find that title and others on our website, True Crime Garage. Click on the recommended page. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't listen. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. 
So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.